I was just reading your post, Suzanne. And first of all, I think it's so important to validate how difficult it is. And it's not just difficult because the disease is difficult, because of the medical abdication that amplifies the difficulty. How do I manage? I mean, I, I think it's hard because I've been sick since I was a little girl. My pain started when I was eight, the post-viral when I was um, 12. Although now I'm looking at the hypermobility people who have ME um, instigated by virus and there seems to be a vulnerability in there. So it's probably post-viral really at age eight. Um, so I haven't been pain-free since I was eight. Um, and so I think it puts me in a little bit of a different land than an adult onset post-viral syndrome. Um, I can tell you how I coped uh, from the very beginning, which is I, I did a kind of push away. And there are good parts to that and there are really bad parts to that. Um, when they dismiss the pain in my legs that made me sit down on the ground and cry, I, I, the pain never went away. I just did a weird internal cordoning off. Um, and the second, the first round of mono had a whole bunch of problems with it, but it's the second round of mono that I think lives closer to what you're experiencing. And I had so much grief. I lost all my friends. I had come out here, you know, I was going to be starting my career as a, as an actor, um, almost got an agent and then got sick. And the first couple of years, that transition time, um, boy, was that hard. Boy, was that hard. I was doing research. I was um, you know, trying to understand what's going on and having medical people basically just tell me, just be less stressed. I'm like, really? Where are the tests? Where are the treatments? Um, and then I started volunteering. I'm, I'm, I, my energy levels were too unpredictable to work, and that became pretty evident. Um, and there's a whole long story of that I do talk about in the podcast, but for the purposes of what I think you're asking... Uh, and sorry, I'm rambling a little bit because my brain is not really functioning very well. But I, I could feel the the resonance of, of a kind of desperation and sadness and fear. Um, because you think it's really easy to slip over into depression. You know, depression is not a causative factor of this. It is caused by it. Let me just be really clear about that. Um... But I, I, it was something I, especially as I deteriorated, I became really concerned about. And so the volunteer work that I did, I taught meditation, I read to the blind. Um, it's just sort of, some of these were sequential. Some of these were at the same time. I volunteered for a yearly event. And as I deteriorated, these nonprofits were super nice about accommodating. And that's been my experience that most volunteer opportunities that are worth their salt um, we'll work around your health obstacle, we'll work with you, we'll find opportunities that fit. 
And that purpose, that purpose has really kept me going. Um, I still had value, um, connection. You know, I had to weed out a lot of friends um, that were a bit toxic and and instead really focus on um, healthy friendships because they have so little energy for it. But that connection is super important. It's one of the biggest things I fear um, as I deteriorate is the loss of that purpose. And I've lost more and more of like the fun parts of my volunteering, the face-to-face stuff. And I'm more, I was joking with someone saying, I'm kind of like the spider in the middle of the web coordinating things like, what about this? And how about if we did this? And, you know, but all during COVID we did projects and I had a great volunteer partner who sort of did the higher energy stuff while I was sort of more like the, the brainchild girl because I've been doing this stuff for so long. But to know that that what I'm doing makes somebody else's life better. Um, and I've spent energy I don't have, and I've spent money trying to boost my energy that I don't have just so I could volunteer has been so important to me. And it doesn't have to be anything big. Um, and, and, you know, work it within your, your health obstacle, but to still feel of purpose to others. And, and within the world, it was so important when it just became completely obvious I wasn't getting better. There wasn't any help to get me better. Didn't have enough money to even like manage when I found things that helped me. And so what was I going to do? Was I going to just give in to despair? Um, you know, and I did still keep fighting for, for health stuff. I mean, I think for me, and this may not serve everyone, there's been a sheer bloody-minded force of personality that's kept me going. And sometimes that wasn't so good. Sometimes I dragged myself around by my hair. Um, but other times it's the thing that's just kept me going. And uh, I think I, at, at what, from a 40-year perspective, <laughs> and, and this is like neither good nor bad, but at, from a 40-year perspective, when you're a year and a half in, you're still in a transition place. And, and you know, and, and that transition place still goes on. I was talking with somebody who's, who's had Emmy and fibro for a long time, and she regularly goes through these grief spells or she'll like look at things that used to be her profession and have these moments. Like those moments still happen for me, and they still happen for, for many people in a long-term illness situation, particularly post-viral. But you know, as I said before, one of the hardest things about this disease is that it's, it's generally, by and large, invisible. The general public doesn't understand it, so you don't have that support. Um, the medical community has been miseducated, and they don't even understand their own bias, so you don't have that support. And, and it's these cumulative lack of support that's, that's so um, extra hard. And so, I mean, I'm late getting connected with the ME community and the long COVID community now is like, you know, obviously you're my fellows, you're my people. Um, but these connections are really important to me. Like I've been so scared running out of money. Like, I mean, some friend, a friend just gave me some money. So now it's the beginning of September, but like a death clock that's so close. It's so hard. And I'll come on Twitter and I'll read posts. Like today I read yours and I thought, 
you know, I can still be of help. And, and other people share their kindness and their help. And so that's a great gift to receive. Um, I mean, how do I manage? I'm, I'm trying to, like, <laughs> I mean, sometimes it's like trying to explain how to tie your shoes. You really have to stop and think, like, how do I tie my shoes? How do I manage? Um, sometimes with my energy restriction is micro interactions. Like, I'll, I'll take a moment and just say hello to the cashier and ask how they're doing. And I'll get a big smile. You know, I savor every one of these moments because I don't have energy just to squander. So everything has to count. Um, I don't have room in my life for toxic toxicity. I, I, uh, I, I friendship garden. Um, and, and, and some of that has involved weeding out things that don't work or really talking through behaviors that cost me energy. So that those relationships I can savor, I can really savor. Um, but I know in your particular manifestation, if I'm remembering your tweets, you know, over the last little bit correctly, I mean, you're in such a, an acute expression of post-viral syndrome. Um, I mean, if you can find any practitioners, if you can afford to go to a naturopath or a physiotherapist, um, you know, there's many practitioners who do understand and to have a practitioner in your corner affirming and validating you and gently saying things like that energy doesn't belong to you. You don't get to use that up. That's for your body. That's for healing. You know, sometimes I need to be gently chided, like to have a medical team now, you know, and it's hard when you're sick and you're as sick as you are, especially to define that. But these are not optional things. Um, and whatever advocacy work that you do for yourself, you do for others. I mean, understanding that larger purpose has been so important to me. I said again and again, I don't think I could have kept fighting considering the complete blanking I was getting from the government. You know, I mean, at least over 300,000 people in Canada now know about my situation, but the GoFundMe still has like under 300 donations, like people who've donated. And, and I, I don't know what to think of that. You know, Liza saying like, oh, well, if 10,000 people donate $5, you've got $50,000 and we've got time. And that hasn't happened. And, you know, that would have defeated me. And I know it would have, but I kept reading the posts of, of people like yourself, of my long COVID fellows and my Emmy fellows and my fibro and my hypermobility fellows. And you know what? Enough. Enough. I don't know if I get to survive, but I'm not going down. I'm not going down without a fight. And I'm not going to allow this to happen to anyone else if I have anything at all to say about it. And so I, I guess there's that measure of steel um, that I didn't know I needed after the second round of mono. I didn't know how bad things were going to get. I knew they were bad, knew I was being abdicated on, you know. Um, but many long COVID are coming out of the gate in such a terrible shape. Um, but, you know, like talk to your MP, talk to your MLA. I'm not sure where you in the world, your state representative, your congressman, however that politically works for you. 
And if you're not well enough, then, then ask the people who love you. And if those people do not understand what's going on, you've got the podcast, the first five episodes, Ash and Kelvin really dig down on and do some amazing research that's just unassailable. And, you know, there's articles like um, Hazy's got some articles up and there's the media links that I have. Like share those with your loved ones. Make them understand. Don't let it be optional because you need them to fight for you now. And I don't know if this is a good thing to say or not, but I knew this disease could kill me. I watched it happen to my grandmother. They never named her disease properly. They called it heart disease, non-specific heart disease. Like that's a thing. But I'm I'm as confident as you could you can be, considering she's been dead for fifty years, that uh, that that she has what I have, that I have what she has. Our symptoms mirror each other. So I've known for a while that this can kill, and. I don't mean to scare you by saying that. I mean to, for me, it was a galvanizing thing. You know, I was going to live. But, but understand your fight to live is not just your fight to live. It's one that can support and raise up people in a similar circumstance. And again, that purpose has been so important for me. Um, and, and, you know, I'm glad you asked me because it's sort of good for me to articulate. Um, I did an interview on Friday and I was all like, oh, I don't know what I sounded like. I'm all over the place. And I sounded salty. I said some truly salty things. <laughs> He's like, what do you think would need to happen to change the system? And I said, like everyone, the politicians, the medical community, everybody needs to put their big person underpants on and admit that they've been wrong, that they misunderstood, they were misinformed, you know, some of them actively knew and did it anyway, but most of them didn't. And and I, in retrospect, I thought, retrospect, I thought, oh dear, like, is that too salty? But you know what? I think I've reached that level of salty because I feel like I'm living in the land of, I don't know if this is a good thing to say, but, you know, watching a shooter go into a mall, watching someone with like, like, firearm going into a mall and knowing what's going to happen you know what's going to happen um you know to people who already have long COVID, and for the millions of people who are going to develop it because we haven't managed this disease and now there's monkeypox and what's post-viral monkeypox going to look like you know we have to start developing tests and treatments COVID, you're not putting that back in the box so now it must be managed and epstein-barr now, we know that many long COVID are having Epstein-Barr become active because everyone's got it. We should have had a vaccine decades ago. You know, like all of these pieces, when I feel desperate, I think of those pieces and I go, okay, this is not just my fight. It's really scary because I don't know if I get to live, but it's not just my fight. It's not just my fight. And, you know, like part of me thinks like, oh, I wish I was well enough. I wish I knew 10 years ago that this was going to happen because then I would have reached out to the media then. I was strong enough. I, it wouldn't have been fun, but I, I could have survived the force of public pressure. And I wonder if I was fully public, would it make a difference? But I don't know that it would because I put everything out there but my in real life name and, and the specifics of my community work. Everything else is out there. 
So, I mean, it's even photos of me before I got sick. I mean, I don't know what else I could have put out there. The, the abdication and the gender bias is so pernicious. So, I don't know if any of that's helpful. Because, you know, we all have different personalities and what works for me may not work for you. But, but that's, that's how I've rolled. I mean, I know I talked in the podcast about my in real life mean, name means strong rebel warrior in a sea of sorrow. And that ain't no joke. I, again, I don't know why they chose to name me that, but um, it's been very apropos. And have I always come at it like that? No, because he didn't understand what I was heading for. And I think that's why people like myself and the larger ME community who's been sick for a while have been saying to the long COVID community, I know you're sick, but it doesn't get better. Like if, if you don't start speaking up in ways that are within your energy limits, like write a letter to your, you know, local and federal representatives, like really say this is not okay. This has to start, stop, start, <laughs> brain. you know, and, and in whatever way that you're able to do it, speak up because with many voices, uh, and, and and the thing is, speak up to your abled community, your abled in real life network of friends and family. Because with AIDS, it took the abled community fighting for those who were sick. Because those who were sick were, had limited amounts of capacity to do that fight. So whatever your network is, reach out and say, you know what? I need your help. This is the disease. This is how it works. There's the... Um, Mayo Clinic primer. There's the World Health Organization primer. The Bateman Horum has a primer. Share those and say, look, I really need you to understand my disease. You know, and, and say, you can even just straight up say, like with AIDS, it took able people fighting. But I need you to help me not just manage what's happening, you know, get support so I can manage this, but to save my life. The research dollars have to change and the research focus has to become strictly biochemical and biomechanical. Do I sound like some sort of poster? (laughs) Some sort of the World War II poster like, you can't do it. Be for victory. Um, But this is honestly how I cope. This is honestly... You know, when I have those dark moments and, you know, they happen a lot. Like yesterday, the heat was just oppressive. You know, here I've got an air conditioner and because it's a cheap one, it still wasn't cutting the mustard and the dysautonomia was brutal. And I, I just felt this deep sense of oppression. So I went downstairs. We've got a cool room in our building and, you know, had a chat with a neighbor and, and it was energy I didn't really have to spend and sitting up was like super hard. But it put my head in a a different space. We didn't talk about what was happening to me. I don't tell my neighbors about that. But, you know, we just talked. And just that moment of connection. You know, it was like, what, 10 minutes, 15 minutes before the screaming of my back got too loud. And did I have that energy to spend? No. So, like, it does become a bit of a juggle. When is it that you really need that emotional 
connection so that you can navigate the physical deterioration and how does that fit within your energy envelope and good God, is that a hard juggle? But, but no, you are not alone. You are not alone, Suzanne. You know, I mean, we don't know each other very well, but I know what you're going through very well. Maybe not the specifics, but the overreaching experience. I see you and I validate your concern about how to navigate this. It's bloody hard. But it can be done. It's very much... I, th- I, th- I look at abled people now like millionaires throwing money off a boat. And not just in energy, but in the taking for granted of these, of these little moments, of these, of these gold moments of a smile or a hug or a half an hour visit with a friend or a food that you really like, you know, like, or a sunset or a butterfly or a dragonfly or a beautiful flower. And I know that sounds ridiculous. I know I sound like some sort of PBS special. But honest to God, that's how I do it, you know, to be in the moment and do my best to savor those moments, you know, but but at the same time, I've got my death clock and I've got pain that wakes me up in the middle of the night and I have medical appointments that I, I come out of just crestfallen for the uselessness and the abdication and it can drop me down for ages, it feels like, and then I pick up my phone and I look at Twitter or I call a friend or I email someone who has the same health condition and just share what happened and have that affirmation back. And then I course correct myself. I'll watch a television show I I like, although that's been hard. The ones I really like cost me too much energy. I keep just rewatching things or watching garbage because, you know, it's just it's too hard. It's too hard. I'm just realizing I hope that thing doesn't come off pause and suddenly you're listening to my crap TV. There we go. Um, you know, it's these little moments when I take my scooter over for treatment, the scooter is incredibly painful and the sunlight is like brutal to me, but I, I put my headphones on and I listen to music I love and that distracts me. Distractions are really important. Um, But it's hard to find distractions that don't cost too much energy. So do I have a magic answer? No. Will your way of managing be exactly my way of managing? Probably not. But maybe some of the tools I've employed could, you know, resonate for you and could be of use. Because I know... Many people, when they become as impaired as we are, feel that, like, who would want me to even volunteer? But volunteer agencies don't see it that way, you know? And many of their mandates are inclusion. And, and you can find a, a niche where you can share your talents and your abilities within your physical ability. Uh, limitations, sorry. Um, so anyway... I natter on. Um, I hope that's useful. I don't know if it is, but I see you and I send you love and 
Um, yeah, I stand in solidarity with you, Suzanne. 